Welcome to the Watoto Church Podcast. Prepare your heart as we explore scripture and delve into the Word of God. Well, in 2014, our family was here in Uganda to adopt our son. And we were here for two months. And the second week that we were here, um, a friend of ours said, why don't you go to church with us? And I said, where do you go to church? And she said, I go to Watoto Church. And at that point, I had never heard of Watoto Church. And I said, I'd be, I'd be glad to. And honestly, I had low expectations. But I pulled up to this tent in Laboa. And I could already hear the music. And I met the best church greeters I had ever met in my life. And they, they welcomed us. Yeah. And we, we went down and the music began and it was incredible. And then all of a sudden I saw this man walk on the stage and I could tell by the way he walked, he was important. <laughs> you know, I heard that uh, Muchigas sometimes walk with a little bit extra pride. Is that true? <laughs> and then later I, I saw this lady walk in and as I saw her walk, I thought that must be the queen of Kampala. And that was Pastor Martha as well. She is the queen of Kampala, right? And I was blown away hearing Pastor Eddie preach. And this is, this is what he sounds like in my Mzungu mind. He sounds like this. My name is Eddie Mwesejie. God is awesome. And it was just an incredible experience. Hand me something here I can rest on my notes or I'm going to be chasing these all day. How about your phone? I'll call somebody if I need to. And it was an incredible experience. And so we left and I told Brittany, I said, my wife, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to email that guy. And she said, he will never answer you. But I found out something about Pastor Eddie. There's one thing that he likes more than coffee. He loves free coffee. And so he, <laughs> he said yes. And we sat down and we had lunch together. And I knew from the first few moments we were together, he was going to be a friend of mine for life. We sat and talked about God and ministry, and he shared with me the vision of Watoto Church and their desire to raise up the next generation to change the nation of Uganda. And I left that day so inspired. In the two months that we were here, the best part of our trip was being a part of Watoto Church. And then Eddie came and he's pre, yeah, we can, we can celebrate that. And he's came twice to my state, uh, the state of Kentucky, and preached three times at our church. Y'all are familiar with KFC. That stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken. We started that. Eddie this week told me he thought it stood for Kampala Fried Chicken. That's not true. Kentucky Fried Chicken. But our partnership with Watoto Church is something that's very important to me because I don't know of another church in the world that's doing what this church is doing. The, the, the volume of children that you're caring for, the, the creativity, the, the passion, the vision to change a nation. I don't know of another church in the world that's doing what this church is doing. And I'm saying this today, you all are gonna have to stop clapping because they got a clock there for me and I gotta get through all my stuff. You know, the, the, standing here today, it really is, one of the greatest honors of my life. 
because I love this church and I'm so thankful to be a part of it. You know, the, this week our family got to go on a safari. And, and so we were leaving from the lodge at a Murchison and we, we saw our first elephant and everyone said, oh, look, there's an elephant. And everyone got quiet and we got out our phones and we were taking pictures and, and no one wanted to move. And then we drove up a little further and there was another elephant and everybody, oh, there's an elephant. And we stopped and we took pictures. Three hours later, we had seen so many elephants, we were driving along and I would say to my son, Jude, oh, Jude, there's an elephant. And he'd go, oh yeah. <laughs> we had got used to seeing the elephants. They said, don't get used to being in this church. This place is special. What God is doing in this community is so unique and special. You are blessed to be a part of Watoto Church. And some of you all came today for the very first time or you're new to this community. I want you to know you are a part of the best church in the entire world. What God is doing here is absolutely incredible. But I believe that the best days of Watoto are still ahead of them. God is just getting started. He's just beginning to write the story of this church and what God wants to do in this city, in this nation. And God is looking to you. You are God's plan to change your community, to change your city, to change the world. You are the church. And today we're launching a brand new series called Each One, Reach One. Let's say that together. Each One, Reach One. That is our responsibility as followers of Jesus to be a part of this movement to reach other people so they can experience the love of God. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus' popularity was at an all-time high. He had just preached an incredible sermon. He is performing miracles. At the beginning of Matthew nine, there was a man who was unable to walk and all of a sudden he stood to his feet and people could not believe the power that was in this new teacher named Jesus. People had never heard anyone teach with that type of authority and have the ability to perform miracles and, and healings. And word was spreading all over the countryside about this new teacher. And it's in this context that Matthew 9 says this, as Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So Jesus and this crowd walk along and they're approaching this man named Matthew who was a tax collector. That means that he was a cheater. He was a traitor. He was despised. This week, my family and I, we went to the village mall. And when we got to security, the lady said, sir, you need a mask to enter. And I said, well, I didn't bring a mask. And she said, well, you can buy one from me for 1,000 shillings each. And so we bought four masks for our family. I gave her 4,000 shillings. Then I walked through the security gate and I looked around and realized no one was wearing a mask. <laughs> she stole my 4,000 shillings. <laughs> Matthew was worse than that lady. Listen, at this time, Israel was under Roman rule. They had came in and took over. And Matthew decided to turn on his own people and to work for the Romans. He taxed his own friends and his families and his neighbors. He was hated by everyone. And my guess is when it was quiet at night and Matthew laid in bed, he knew he was a traitor. He knew he was a cheater. He, he felt that weight of guilt 
and shame. And now Jesus, this teacher, the one that everyone was was talking about, was walking towards him. And I can only imagine how Matthew ducked his head, hoping that Jesus would not know him. But it says this at the end of verse 9, Jesus looked at him and said, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and he followed him. Jesus looked at Matthew, but he saw something that no one else saw. Everyone else saw a traitor and a cheater, but Jesus saw potential. He saw someone that he could start a movement with called the church that would change the world because God doesn't see what everyone else sees. And that's our story. Everyone else may see something about you, but God sees potential. This is my story. I tried to run as far away from God as possible, but God chased me down and adopted me into his family. God is much better at forgiving than we are at sinning. He's much better at catching us than we are at running away. God chases after us because he sees potential in us. And I don't know how you view yourself, but I want you to know God sees you as something that he could use to move this movement forward called the church. You know, our church, our mission's really simple. We say we're all about helping ordinary lives become extraordinary stories. We're convinced God doesn't make ordinary people. But if we're not careful, we can settle into an average ordinary life where we get up, we go to work, we work all day, we drive the boat at home, we may get on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, then we go to sleep and we do it again, over and over and over again. But Jesus created you for something more, something greater. You're a part of this movement called the church. You know, when my kids were little, at night they wanted me to come and tuck them into bed and to pray for them. And every night I would say the same verse to them. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, it says, you're God's workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared for you in advance. I wanted my kids to know that they were created for a purpose. Before they were even thought of, God was already planning out good things for them to do. My son Jude, he's also a little Muchiga, he's nine years old now. And when Jude was born, his mother threw him in the trash. But God sent a woman named Sharon to rescue him to take him to an orphanage because God created him to be my son. And I want him to know that God has a purpose for his life. And I want you to know God has a purpose for your life. And Jesus saw something in Matthew. And he said, hey man, why don't you give up that life and follow me? And Matthew couldn't get up quick enough. He had been waiting for this moment and all of a sudden that weight of guilt and shame left and his life was transformed. Shortly after that though, Matthew started thinking about his friends, other tax collectors, people he spent time with and he thought, man, I I want them to experience what, what I'm experiencing. I want them to know Jesus the way I know Jesus because maybe if, if they'll talk to him the way I'm talking to him, it could change their life. Because that's what we do when, when we like something, we tell other people about it. I love G-nut sauce. They don't make that in the United States. 
Everywhere I go in the U.S., when I invite people to come to Uganda with me, I say, you got to eat the G-nut sauce. I am an evangelist for G-nut sauce. I tell everybody because I love it. When we love something, we want other people to experience it. And Matthew started thinking, how can I get my friends in the room with Jesus? Maybe if they eat a meal with him, maybe if they talk to him, maybe if they sit around him, they can experience what what I'm experiencing. So Matthew decided he was going to host a party in his house and invite all of his friends and invite Jesus because he thought if I can get them in the room with Jesus, it could change their life. And so in verse 10, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew thought, if I could just get them in the room with Jesus. In 2014, while we were here, we spent a lot of time waiting We were waiting for a judge to sign some paperwork for us and he was not in a hurry at all. And so we didn't have a lot to do. And one day we were going down the road and I saw a basketball court. And in Kentucky, we love basketball. And so the next day I said, let's go find that basketball court. And so we walked a few kilometers and my daughter and I, we walked up and we found this basketball court and there was a young lady there shooting basketball. And I walked up and I said, hi, I'm Andrew. This is my daughter, Chapel. And she said, my name is Hajra. I said, hey, Hajra, nice to meet you. We started playing basketball with her. At some point during that time, I pointed at a church that was nearby. And I said, Hajra, is this your church? And she said, no, I'm a Muslim. And my daughter, Chapel, who was eight at the time, said, dad, what is a Muslim? And I said, be quiet, Chapel. I'll talk to you later. So after we finished playing basketball with Hajra, we were leaving. And Chapel said, Dad, what's a Muslim? And I said, Hajra just doesn't understand the love of Jesus yet, Chapel. She said, well, Dad, we need to pray for her. And so that day, our family prayed for Hajra for the very first time. The next day, we went to the basketball court. And guess who was there? Hajra was at the basketball court. And we became friends with Hajra. And those two months that we were here, We would go out to eat with Hajra. She came over and cooked for us. Almost every day we were together. And I just really wanted her to experience the love of Jesus. I just thought maybe if I could just get her in the room with Jesus, she would understand how much he loves her. And so every Sunday I would say, Hajra, why don't you come to church with us? And she'd say, oh, maybe. But she would never show up. But our very last Sunday that we were going to be in Uganda, I said, Hajra, would you please come to church with us? And she said, okay, I'll be there. And so my daughter, Chapel, and I, we stood outside that tent in Loboa, and we waited. And right at the last minute, Hajra showed up, and we went into the service, and she heard this incredible music, and Pastor Eddie had a great message that morning. And at the end of the service, he said, hey, could everybody bow your heads and close your eyes? No one looking around. Is there anybody here today that wants to invite Jesus to be the leader of their life? And you're not supposed to look but I had to look. And Hajra, she didn't raise her hand that day, but after the service, I I went and I introduced her to Pastor Eddie and some of the leaders of the campus, and we said our goodbyes, and we continued to pray for Hajra every day that she would know the love of Jesus. 
The next Sunday, Hazra sent us a message and said, Andrew, I went back to Watoto this Sunday. And then the next week she went back again. And a few weeks later, Pastor Eddie called me on a Monday. He said, Andrew, I just, I need you to know that yesterday Hazra invited Jesus to be the leader of her life. When we were here in, in 2018, I got to sit in a church service with my daughter, Chapel, who prayed for Hajra every day and Hajra and watched them worship Jesus together. I just, I love Hajra. I wanted her to be in the room with Jesus and Matthew's thinking, man, if I could just get my friends around Jesus, maybe they would experience what, what I'm experiencing. But now the the church people, they had a problem with this, who Jesus was spending his time with. It says, and when the Pharisees saw this, the church people, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, the religious didn't understand why Jesus spent so much time with people who were so far away from God. They, they thought Jesus would spend more time in the temple, the Messiah should spend time in God's house. And see, sometimes as church people, we get this confused. We think this is God's house. We think that this place is sacred. This place is not sacred. You are sacred. This isn't the church. You're the church, right? And sometimes we get this confused. I grew up in church and there were people that would call our church God's house. And we weren't allowed as kids to run in God's house. You would be running somebody, say, hey, don't run. This is God's house. I thought God lived in our church. Then I became the pastor. And we used to have steps right here in the front of our stage. And sometimes during the service, people would come up and they would kneel at the steps and they would pray. But our church continued to grow. And so we had to get rid of the steps and move the steps over to the side. And when I did, people came up to me and said, Pastor, I can't believe you removed the altar. I see you talking about the steps. Because we think that those things are sacred and we forget we're sacred. We're the church. Church doesn't happen on Sunday at 10 o'clock. You're the church. Church isn't one day a week, it's, it's seven days a week. We are part of this movement called the church and everywhere we go because we carry the Holy Spirit with us. People get to be in the room with Jesus and they experience his goodness and his grace by just being around us because we are carriers of the Holy Spirit. Even when Jesus came up with the word for church, he chose a really odd word. It says this in Matthew chapter 16, the first time the word church is ever used. Jesus said this to Peter, and he said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now the word that Jesus chose for church is ecclesia, and this is not a religious word. It's actually a secular word. It just means a group of people that come together for a specific purpose. And so when Jesus thought, what do I want to call this new movement that's gonna change human history? He chose this word that means a group of people coming together to accomplish something. Actually in Acts 19, 
Paul is in the city called Ephesus. And Paul is leading so many people to Christ and they're leaving their foreign gods that it started causing a problem because there were some people who made these small statues and replicas of these gods and they would sell them for a profit. But people no longer wanted to buy their product because now they were followers of Jesus. And so they started getting upset and they, they gathered people together and said, hey, we've got to kick this guy Paul out of our community. And they created this riot in this mob. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 32. It says, the assembly was in confusion. Some of the people were shouting one thing, some another. Most didn't even know why they were there. So it says this assembly, this group, this mob of people, you know the word that's used there. Ecclesia, a church formed. A group of people came together for a specific purpose. That is the picture of the church. The church is not a place that we come and sit in a chair for one hour a week. The church is a movement of people on a purpose, on a mission, looking for those who are hurting and broken and lost and bringing them to the love of Jesus. But the religious people didn't understand this. In fact, Jesus responds to them this way in, in Matthew chapter nine. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, you misunderstood why I'm here. I didn't come looking for those who already have their lives together. My purpose, my mission is to find people who are broken and hurting. This is the mission of the church. But the challenge is when we become church people, we all of a sudden form church opinions. And if you've been church a while, you have opinions about church. I like this song. I don't like that song. I don't like when he sings. I like listening to Pastor Remy more than I do Pastor Eddie. The music seemed awful loud today, right? Church people have church opinions. And if we're not careful, church people will make churches that Christians like, but they forget about the world. And Jesus said, don't, don't misunderstand this. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who are lost and broken. The, the, the biggest attended series at our church every year is a series called At the Movies, where we take movies and we, we add what God might be teaching through them, a spiritual truth, and we show clips of movies and then there's preaching. And we tell everybody, invite all of your friends and our church is full every year. And we pass out popcorn and Coke. And some people who've been in church a while will come to me and say, Pastor, are you sure that we should be drinking Cokes and eating popcorn in church? And I will say, I'm not really sure, but I do know this, this room is full of people who don't know Jesus. And if that gets them in the room with Jesus, I am fine with that. I just want more and more people to know the love of Christ. And Matthew thought if I could just get him in the room with Jesus, but the religious leaders, they didn't understand. See, this has been a challenge of every church that's ever existed. From the very first church, all the way to Watoto Church. 
You know, the very first church got together and they asked this question, what are we gonna do about all these outsiders? Don't they need to start acting like church people? Don't they need to dress like us and talk like us and eat like us and look like us? And in Acts 15, they got together to ask this question, what are we gonna do about all of these people that are on the outside that don't act like church people? And then after this long discussion, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this in Acts 15. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This must become the attitude of all of us. Let's not make it difficult for people to see Jesus. Whatever we have to do to get people in the room to Jesus, let's get people in the room with Jesus. And this is what God is asking each of us to do, for each one of us to, to reach someone else. My good friend Troy and I have been in a discipling relationship for the last few years. We get together and we read scripture and I challenge him to grow and he challenges me to grow. And, and, and last year, Troy said, Andrew, I, I have never had a spiritual conversation with anyone outside of church. And I want to start making an impact in my workplace and Troy works for a factory in our community that builds Toyotas. And so I said, okay, Troy, well, let's pray. And let's believe that God is gonna help you make an impact in your workplace. And so we prayed, and at the end of it, I looked at Troy and I said, all right, Troy, you're the new pastor of Toyota. Tomorrow, when you walk into work, start looking for opportunities to love on someone, to point someone to Christ, to share your story with them. And so Troy showed up at work the next day and he started looking around. And after work, Troy called me and said, Andrew, you won't believe it. I was sitting at lunch today and a friend of mine started telling me about something going on in his family. And I said, can I pray with you? And he said, yes, that'd be great. And Troy started praying with him. And when Troy looked up, this man was crying and said, Troy, I haven't been in church in years. I, I can't remember the last time I prayed. And Troy and him ended up having a spiritual conversation. And Troy said, you wouldn't believe it. It was, it was incredible. A couple days later, Troy calls me again and says, Andrew, you won't believe what happened today. I was sitting at work and this guy started telling me about his daughter having a surgery and I paused and said, hey, could I pray with you? And he said, sure. And so I started praying with him and he said, Troy, thank you so much. It means so much to me. He said, Andrew, I can't believe these opportunities keep happening. A few days later, Troy calls me and says, Andrew, you won't believe what happened. I said, Troy, I believe what happened. <laughs> How is it possible that for 20 years, Troy worked in the same place and never had an spiritual encounter with someone? But then he started looking. And every week, Troy calls me with something else that happened. I believe God is opening doors way more often than we're walking through. God is speaking way more often than we're listening. If we will start waking up every day with this sense of purpose, knowing that we are a part of the church, and as we go, we look around and we're looking where Jesus is, someone that we can love on, someone that we can care for, someone that we can point to Christ. God wants to use you to be the church because church is not a place that we just sit and spectate. We don't just sit back and enjoy. It's something that we participate in. And so I'm challenging you. Will you participate in being a part of the church? You are the pastor of your neighborhood. You're the pastor of your workplace. God placed you where you are, when you are, for a reason to impact people around you. 
And I want you to think about someone in your life right now that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's a friend, a neighbor, a coworker. God has placed you in their life for a reason. And if you don't know someone that doesn't know Jesus, then you need more friends. We need to be around those who don't know Christ, but I want you to think about what God could use you to do. That the day they come to Jesus, the moment that you get to baptize them, think about how incredible it will be when they experience the love of Christ. Can we take a moment and just bow our heads and close our eyes? And I want you to think about that person in your life, the person who still doesn't understand the love of Christ. Would you just take a moment and begin to pray for them by name, that God would use you, that you could share your story, you could pray for them, that by just being around you, they could experience the goodness of Christ. Jesus, we invite you to use us. Help us see the way you see. God, help us see where you're moving and where you're working and the opportunities that you're providing for us. God, use us to introduce people to your goodness. God, we pray for this local assembly, this local church, that we would never believe that what we're doing right now is church, but that we're always the church. And everywhere we go, we would go with this purpose and this awareness that, that you're calling us, you're, you're commissioning us to be pastors and shepherds, to find those who are lost. And God, for our family and our, our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors that still don't know you, God, would you use us to be the one who invites, to be the one who shares your goodness, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this encourages you to step into the new. Tune in next time as we delve into the Word of God. For comments and feedback or counseling, write to connect at watotochurch.com. Hey, hey,